you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, friends, or as they say online, hello, my beautiful people. So grateful to share space with you all once again. And in the intimate data sphere of sound waves and digital radio frequencies, uh, I want to first start out by offering my warmest apologies for not posting episodes as frequently as we have in the past. Uh, recently, I've been feeling called to retreat into a few books that I hadn't given myself enough time or space to really focus on reading. Uh, you know, although this podcast is an extremely important part of my spiritual practice, uh, you know, to like create a space where we can explore these complex spiritual themes, amongst all of that, I, I still have to remember to make time for my own self-care and set aside some time for myself, you know, which uh, to me looks like reading books or spending time in nature or uh, more recently, I actually haven't shared this with you, but uh, I purchased an electric motorcycle back in November which, uh, believe it or not, uh, has become really an integral part of my own practice in sustaining a, a type of inner peace in the outside world. Um, ironically, I never intended for an electric motorcycle to push me closer to inner peace, but you know, the truth is, it really has. And uh, for those of you who uh, aren't as familiar with electric motorcycles, it's basically the same as a regular motorcycle, except for the fact that it's all electric and doesn't use gas. So that's definitely a win for the environment, right? And uh, ironically, I've always felt a bit triggered by motorcycles, just regular motorcycles. I mean, simply just because of the sheer volume of their engines when I hear them pass by my home or just hear them on the streets. Um, they're always just unreasonably loud. And so because of that, I never thought to venture into that world, right? So until I discovered that Electric motorcycles are even more quiet than a public park on a Sunday, you know, and it's true. And to be honest, I, I believe they're even more quiet than a bicycle. And so it started as an idea to bring environmental sustainability into the sphere of personal transformation quickly became something akin to walking meditation for me, uh, except for the fact that you're flying through space at 40, 50 miles an hour in complete silence while at the same time, you know, taking in the breeze against your face the sunlight against your skin, and this like unbelievably powerful sense of presence with everything in front of you and around you. And for a moment, I feel like I feel like a Treyu flying through the sky with Falcor from the never-ending story, you know. And then I think to myself, you know, this really is freedom. This feels like freedom. You know, not having to experience the unreasonably loud exhaust of, you know, burning fuel blaring in my ears, but Instead, this sort of gentle rustling of trees, right? The sound of birds and the sort of super disoriented and confused face of onlookers in the distance trying to figure out how it's even possible for an electric motorcycle to sort of quickly accelerate past them with such power and yet grace at the same time. And uh, I never in a million years would have thought this uh, engineered piece of machinery would teach me the art of strength and grace, but it has. You know, I, I acknowledge this uh, sort of biological predisposition I have towards motorcycle riding 
I mean, after all, my father owned a motorcycle and uh, almost every uncle and cousin that I have owned them. And so I come from a, a family lineage or of, of motorcyclists that perhaps gather the same joy for riding as I do. But um, I admit I never really understood it. And uh, I most certainly didn't understand the sort of overtly masculine, stereotypical biker culture of the post-war era. But uh, despite that, maybe they were onto something in their joy for writing, right? Maybe it was this feeling of, of presence, you know, this feeling of solitude and this feeling of simplicity that just brought so much joy. You know, perhaps it was maybe this feeling of becoming intimately close with their own fears of death by maybe placing themselves into situations that invoked a bigger conversation about mortality to occur. I mean, whatever the reasoning, I mean, it seems we all have our own unique ways of testing the boundaries of our own limitations. It seems anything can become a spiritual teaching if we're alert and aware enough to engage with life, right? And perhaps, you know, my venture into the quiet revolution of electric motorcycles can seem more as a metaphor than anything else. Maybe it's just my way of carrying on the tradition of my lineage without the static or the noise and the blaring engine sounds of my family's traumatic past. So my hope is that the roaring engine of trauma and pain is replaced by the sort of gentle, quiet solitude of a spirit soaring quietly through the trees. And, uh, you know, alas, my ancestors can finally experience a quiet meditative walk amongst the earth in the form of an electric motorcycle. <laughs> I mean, of course, walking amongst nature is a beautiful experience, right? But let me tell you, I mean, becoming the wind that pierces the trees or becoming the bird that soars over the meadows is, is nothing really short of profound, at least to me. But I will say, you know, you most certainly don't need a motorcycle to experience the magic of nature. And seldom would people even think to enter the meditative world of nature on two wheels. But I wanted to talk about this today. What I wanted to talk about is this sort of mysterious world we call nature, right? I've always had an affinity to quiet spaces, in, especially in nature. I mean, of course, many people do, and uh, for their own reasons, of course. Though, have you ever felt the presence of a quiet space without the sort of many distractions that tend to keep our attention bound to certain stories we have circulating in the mind at all times? See, many people love being in nature for the simple fact that it provides like a certain type of perspective. I mean, typically the perspective is that of uh, escaping the clutches of a chaotic world, which invokes maybe perhaps feelings of anxiety in us. I mean, we hear that often, right? I love nature because it allows me to escape the static and noise of my job or my life or maybe even my career. Though uh, we seldom really contemplate whether escaping is the most constructive thing we can do in nature. But the truth is we can escape, though, you know, for only short periods of time. Until, you know, we have to return to the chaos and slowly assimilate into the person that we were before. And although there seems to be really great peace in temporarily escaping the burdens of life, we're really seldom concerned with the temporary respite as long as, you know, we have those few moments to pretend that everything is okay. And then you have, you know, those that love being in nature as a way to sort of stabilize their ideas and find resolution to complex situations. And with good reason. You know, some people just rarely get the privilege of conversing peacefully with themselves in an environment that isn't moving as quickly as we're often used to in the modern world, right? The reason really is, is quite simple when we take some time to really think about it. 
because you know we are all the time influenced by movement and progression, even if we aren't aware of it. I mean, if you think of where you are right in this moment, like if you're in a car, you have your attention tuned into the sound of vehicles passing, right? Pedestrians walking across the street, you can tune into that. You know, you have the sound of the wind against your window. You know, even if you're sitting in what you think is a quiet home, for example, your attention is unconsciously tuned into the subtle hum of your fridge, right? The sound of a fan above your head, maybe the television across the way, and even the, the sound of electricity passing through a network of wires in your home. So we are in some ways just absorbing a type of peace, though if you've ever had the rare opportunity to experience like, let's just say a power outage on your neighborhood street, you know that life can be much more quieter and more peaceful than we think. I mean, have you ever experienced the deep silence of a neighborhood street when there isn't an electrical current moving through the wires of every home? I mean, it's insane. And it really puts it in a perspective how conditioned we are by this, the subtle sounds around us that we mistake in a silence. So my point is this, okay? As, as humans, we're always being influenced by the movement of our surroundings, right? And this is often why you have, a, a, I think, a 21% higher risk of developing generalized anxiety in urban communities than you do in rural communities, because the mind will often sort of assimilate and adjust to the flow of its surroundings, right? I mean, that's why those in densely populated cities like Los Angeles tend to suffer from a, a type of FOMO when it comes to the day-to-day -day activities. I mean, if we're always surrounded by movement outside, we often feel this, this type of pressure, right? This pressure to contribute to that movement in some way. We think, well, people are out there making life happen, and so I must do the same. Of course, this desire to contribute isn't really a bad thing, but uh, at a certain point, we tend to have difficulty creating boundaries around when it's appropriate and when to shut it off. I mean, realistically, we never quite learn how to shut it off, not even realizing how imperative it is for the body and the mind that we do, right? I mean, it's no surprise that we burn out in these cases. And uh, in an effort to kind of mitigate the chaos of this sort of acceleration brought on by life, we have temporary remedies to help combat the anxiety that we feel. You know, we go on vacation, we introduce certain practices like walking or running or cycling. And uh, considering the fact that we live in a more technology-driven society, I mean, some people even take sabbaticals from the sort of emotional mindfuck we call social media, right? I mean, we all certainly acknowledge that we push ourselves too far, though we seldom spend time implementing a a sustainable practice that can create lasting and effective peace in our lives. But um, really, in order for that to occur, we, we really have to decide whether we're serious about sustainable peace or whether we simply want to use peace as a way to uh, escape from a much bigger issue that we aren't prepared to heal or let go of, right? I think this is why our behavior and nature is so indicative of where we fall on the spectrum of our commitment to peace. So as I mentioned prior, so there are those that use their time in nature as a way to escape, and then those that use their time in nature as a way to quietly contemplate things they can't otherwise in real life. And so you have these, these two energies, right? The energy of stabilized movement and the energy of escape. And both you know, rarely get to experience the peace and stillness of nature, even if they happen to be in it, right? Notice how I mentioned that they use nature 
and opposed to actually experiencing nature. And it seems wildly paradoxical when you think about it. You know, instead of experiencing things fully, we often we often use things as a way to help us feel a little better than we felt before, right? We we substitute sustainable experiences for temporary remedies. I mean, God forbid we we give up the clutches of our own need to control by allowing ourselves to experience things, right? And so we uh, instead we sort of commit to having a, a type of control over our lives by using things like nature for our own, our own purposes instead. And uh, the truth is, if you know sustainable and lasting peace is what you desire, you may may never actually obtain that from nature. And uh, for the simple fact that nature is not really something that you can take from, right? And so in contrast to that, there's another sort of elemental spirit that we find in nature, which are those that wish to simply be in nature without any impulse to want, to take, to need, or really do anything while they're in it, right? For these type of individuals, it, it, it instead becomes sort of like a, a simple, profound dance of appreciation for what is. And Osho actually has this quote that says, if you love a flower, don't pick it up. Because the second you pick it up, it dies and ceases to be what you love. Love is not about possession. It is about appreciation, right? That's what Osho says. And so when we approach nature with a motivation to, let's just say, forget, to escape, or to manipulate, then we're never really fully placing ourselves into the grace of being able to experience it fully. You know, instead, you'll be there wanting desperately for nature to bring you somewhere else, right? Instead of fully absorbing your heart into the stillness of nature, you'll try and take a little piece of it with you into your chaotic and busy life. I mean, we'll really approach it in the same way that many people approach meditation, right? Because for many people who meditate, they often only commit to it in, let's just say, incremental amounts, right? 30 minutes here, 45 minutes there, 20 minutes during a lunch break, 25 minutes in the morning before work. Of course, these aren't at all negative things, but the issue lies more in our understanding of what meditation is and how we believe it should be used. Of course, it's, it's easy to see meditation as something we use to overcome certain obstacles in life. I mean, after all, there's really no shortage of uh, YouTube videos or literature and books all sort of quantifying meditation in such a way as to appear as though a tool we should be using in order to optimize our lives. And it's my view that this really contributes to much of the same issues we face when attempting to compartmentalize nature for our own purposes, right? And this is really for the simple fact that meditation is not something you use for personal reasons. I think at the core, uh, meditation isn't even something that you do, right? More than anything, meditation is something that you are at the most fundamental level. Right? Meditation is not something that can be turned off and on like a light switch. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that the spirit is really always in meditation. The issue is that we develop certain behaviors and beliefs and certain patterns of behavior that trick us into believing that we have some sort of issue preventing us from accessing the meditative state. And this is why we often hear meditation more as a type of practice, right? It's the practice of being aware of how we sort of mindfuck ourselves into believing we aren't already there. I mean, surely if we approach meditation as a type of partial commitment, we certainly couldn't be that committed to it. I mean, what we really crave in meditation, it seems, is a type of control over how we wish to feel. 
right? What we really want is a space where we can find temporary relief to the chaos in life while still participating in the chaos. I mean, God forbid we, uh, we commit to meditation as being the most fundamental aspect of our spirit. I mean, if we did, I, we, we wouldn't have to limit our meditation to 20 minutes on a Thursday, right? We'd instead embody meditation in every waking hour we're alive. Because the truth is, I mean, the spirit is never not in meditation. Our issue is, is we think we have a choice as to whether we're in meditation or we aren't. And this idea of choice, this sort of belief that we aren't, will have us really thinking that we aren't already there, right? So you see how we, we play these sort of mind games with ourselves because our need for control is eclipsing our ability to surrender to what already is in each and every moment you find yourself in. So my, my point is this, right? We live in a culture that uses instead of accepts. We live in a culture that controls instead of surrenders. We live in a culture that believes truth and opposed to knowing the truth of the unknowable. And this sort of neuroses can be witnessed in the most subtle of narratives we hold in our minds when we're in, in an environment as you know still and as beautiful as nature. And that's why nature is the most profound training ground for truth, you know? Because it gives us a, a clear glimpse into what you are and what you're not, right? It gives a, us a glimpse into where spirit resides in contrast to the ego. So for a moment, I'd like you to imagine that you're in nature, okay? Just for this moment, wherever you are, just imagine that you're there. Feel the sensation of your body just sort of grounded in this moment and feel the warmth of the light piercing, let's just say, through your eyelids, right? Feel the gentle wind as it sort of passes over the skin. Now, these are things that you can experientially feel against your body, right? I mean, there's no denying that, you know, there's, there's no denying that because it's what you're feeling, right? It's what you're experiencing. Now, what is the first thing that you see? And pay attention to the answer that, that, that comes to your mind when you ask yourself this question. What do you see? Let's say, for example, you said that you see a tree. And the next question I would ask is, well, who is it that sees the tree? And you may say to yourself at this point, well, you know, I do. I see the tree. And the next question I would ask you is, well, who are you? Can you tell me who it is that sees the tree? Of course, many of us would say, well, sir, it is me that sees the tree, of course. But really pay attention to this voice and feel where it's coming from. And, and feel how it responds to the moment. Because a lot of the things that we tend to respond with are mechanical. You may even you know, find yourself responding without even thinking about it, right? Well, of course that's a tree because it's what I see with my eyes. Well, what if I told you that at the most fundamental level that you were wrong, right? What if I told you that at the most fundamental level, you don't really know what you see? Because at the most fundamental level of that, what you think is merely a belief in what you see, right? So many of us will, will see a tree because that's what we've been taught to believe. And the belief in a tree, right? The belief in a sunset, the belief in an evening sky is, is also wrapped up in a belief you have of who you think you are and who you think is seeing that tree. And if you've been on this path for some time, you know that you know, belief can never take the place of truth because belief is just belief, right? Right? We can believe that we exist as a person because the sort of belief factory in our minds we call the ego 
will have us believing that we're a person. When in reality, all we are is just a series of ideas and concepts that we believe are true. But belief does not take the place of truth. I mean, after all, how can it? You know, the energy of belief in and of itself implies a, a type of insecurity and a type of distrust over the things that we think. So, for example, we can all believe in a biblical God, right? And we can believe in that without ever having met God before. I mean, we can't say for certain that he exists, so we have to believe it instead, right? But is it an indisputable fact that God exists? And some people would say yes, but ultimately in the end, it's still just a belief. And for those that you know, perhaps know that God exists, well, how do they know? Possibly because they've experienced God in some way. And this is my point, right? Truth is an experience. Belief is just an idea, right? One thing that we know for certain in this moment is that we exist. One thing we aren't certain of, of is who we are, right? And this is our reasoning for having to believe it, right? So when you say that you see a tree, you really have to get serious about who it is that you think sees the tree. Because the truth is, we don't really know what we're looking at in nature, we can say a tree is a tree or a sky is a sky all day long, but what we say will never take the place of what we are experiencing while we're in it. I mean, if we're going to place this into any type of context, I think it would uh, it'd be more accurate to say that what we are experiencing in nature is a type of seeing, right? Seeing would, would make more sense over the idea of one who sees because uh, seeing is a verb, right? It's a movement. It's an experience. Right? To see implies there being someone there to see. It implies there being someone there who can extract an idea of what it is that they see. And as long as you're in the business of you know, being someone who sees nature, you'll never be graced with the privilege of experiencing the mystery of the unknown. Because if all you see is a tree, then you know, you'll never appreciate the absolute beauty and mystery of God. Instead, you'll find yourself uh, more concerned with what you think about it, right? See, if you can place yourself into the realm of seeing, you'll seldom find concepts or ideas or beliefs there. Instead of seeing a tree, you'll see God. Instead of seeing a rose, you'll see God. Instead of seeing a beautiful sunset, you'll just see this vast alien world just dancing before your eyes. And in an instant, you'll find yourself approaching nature with the same awe that a child would experience opening its eyes for the first time, being born. And if you're you know, able to really commit yourself to the experience of seeing, then you are committing yourself to experiencing life from the vantage point of your awareness, of your spirit. This is the domain of truth. You know, truth is not something that you place into words. You know, truth is something that you experience with every part of your being. And so H.W. Alpunja, otherwise known as Papaji, this was Muji's teacher, he actually said this once. He said, Enlightenment is like a bird flying through the sky. It leaves no trace to follow, but its presence can't be denied. See, that's truth, right? The truth is you don't know where the fuck that bird came from or where that bird is going. The only thing that you know is that the presence of that bird cannot be denied because it's within your experience in this moment. See, that's enlightenment. Right? It's being aware of the light in things. Right? We can look at the light as, as being the sort of truth in things. Right? The deep understanding of what we experience versus what we think we know. 
See, the most uh, profound thing about nature is that it doesn't have a story. It instead has a, a certain quality of aliveness that really can't be denied when we're there to experience it, right? You can come into nature with any number of stories, but if you've ever given yourself the space to really be with nature, you know, you'll quickly learn how insignificant these stories are in the presence of stillness. And of course, you know, it isn't as though nature does anything to you. It doesn't sit you down like a parent and explain to you everything you happen to be doing wrong in your life or what you should be doing in order to begin doing everything right. You know, it doesn't do all of that. I mean, what would nature do with that static anyways, right? It has no use for stories. And so its nature is really to never impose, right? To never intervene, right? Never to present a type of moral compass for you to follow. The only thing really that happens in nature is, is what comes natural to nature. I mean, I'm reluctant to even define the quality of nature, but I've had to, if I had to place it into any type of context, I would say that its teaching is stillness. But it isn't that nature is deliberately being still so that you can learn to shut the fuck up. <laughs> the type of stillness that I'm talking about comes before even the idea we have of stillness, right? It comes before even the, the thought of stillness. Right? How then can we even begin to define the mystery of this force, right? And uh, if you find yourself contemplating this, like right at this moment, then I hope that you kind of quickly notice that this contemplation in and of itself is a part of the problem, right? The contemplation is what will quickly pull you out of truly experiencing stillness. See, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about nature, right? Is you can't take anything from it. You can't take the trees with you. You can't take the sky with you. Of course, you can try, but you know, the second you try and possess nature, it, it just becomes dead, right? The second nature enters into your mind as an idea, it stops being nature, right? It stops being nature and becomes something you've just created instead. So if there's anything that we can extract from nature, it would have to be stillness. But it isn't, it isn't something that we take, right? It's something that automatically comes into being when we surrender to the flow of the trees, right? And the movement of the wind and things like that. And if we're sensitive enough, we'll notice that it, it isn't stillness that we're taking from the ocean or the sounds of birds, right? All really nature does is redirect the flow of our energy so that we can easily notice the stillness that already exists within us. Of course, this requires a great deal of dedication and honesty on our part to sort of awaken this force within us. Because when we experience something this beautiful, sometimes we can't help but try and keep it for ourselves, right? And this need to, to capture and possess stillness eventually becomes sort of an arbitrary and futile game that reinforces more of the same confusion that we feel in life. You know, when we think we need to learn how to be still, right? We think we need to learn how to shut the fuck up and become meditative, things like that. The truth is, you can't learn what your spirit already knows right? Seems the reason we, we think we need to learn how to be still is because the mind doesn't know what to do with stillness. And because it doesn't know what to do with stillness, it, it thinks there's something to figure out about it, right? The mind approaches it really in the same way it does with everything. And this is what I mean by having to approach nature with a very, a very humble sense of honesty. Because if we're honest with our experience, then, you know, we will know the second mind starts trying to figure this stillness thing out, right? You can watch your mind spinning in circles trying to find the answer to stillness and meditation. It'll start saying things like, 
whoa, so this is what it's like to be still. I'm going to have to remember that. Hmm. So I must be in the meditative state, right? This is what it is. This feels nice. So this is what I need to practice more when I'm at work. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to have to meditate more often. Right? We don't we don't realize how silly this all seems until we get home and start beating ourselves up for not being peaceful enough or meditative enough. Right? Or when life suddenly just sort of interferes with our plans for being peaceful, right? And you find yourself with these feelings of guilt for not being able to deliver on your commitment to that awakened peaceful person you thought you were when you were in nature walking amongst the flowers. See, what we don't realize is that the same voice that spoke to you in your mind and told you that you were meditative is the same voice in your mind that told you that you weren't. And when we are aware of this type of egoic dementia that occurs in these types of situations, then we can, we can really start getting clear on what is real and what isn't. The reason we're so conflicted about meditation is because we think it's something that is either obtained or lost, right? We think of enlightenment and really in very much the same way, right? One day you think you're enlightened, the other day you've somehow convinced yourself that you've lost it. And in an effort to sort of regain that feeling of being awake, you start deliberating in your mind just all the things you think you need in order to get it back. And this, this voice is what we need to be aware of because if you aren't aware of it, if you aren't aware of this voice, it'll have you running in circles just for all eternity until you burn out and get sick and, and you just get tired of being the seeker. And what happens when you finally give up being the seeker, right? You become awareness instead, which of course, you know, is where stillness lives, right? I mean, ultimately, whatever, whatever path you decide to take, it will lead us all to the same place eventually. And whether you choose a more direct path or, you know, choose a lifetime of suffering, you know, we'll all be led back to stillness in the end. But if you knew that there was a path that led you directly to your true selves, I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you take it? It seems like an easy decision, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be that way for many people. I mean, someone can lay out the clearest path to truth and, and still we'd find every excuse not to take it by creating a million different requirements that need to be met before we can accept that we're there. So my point is this. If stillness and peace is what you'd like to awaken to, then your mind will never take you there, right? The only way to awaken to stillness within you is if you simply just allow yourself to be where you are in this moment, right? In this moment. And doing that without contemplating what it's like to be in this moment. And nature, you know, is really one of the strongest and most potent places to start this journey. And what a relief, right? What a relief that you don't have to sit there and try to understand every little fucking thing that you see with your eyes. The only thing you need is to just be able to look through your eyes and see what's in front of you, right? Look at your breathing. It's peaceful, right? It has a nice rhythm. Listen to your heart. It's beating, it has a nice sort of peaceful flow that you can tap into, right? Look at your cat, right? He's just chilling there, staring at you, right? Wondering like, what the fuck is this human's problem? <laughs> and if you just practice being aware of the sort of subtle dances of nature, you'll realize that everything in nature is chilling except for you, right? The question really is whether or not you're willing to let go of how you think it needs to look and feel in order to experience it, right? There's nothing to accept, there's nothing to learn. There's nothing to possess or grasp. There's nothing really to, to, to lose or gain. 
right? This is, this is the Tao, what I'm talking about, right? It's a willingness to see everything just as it is, right? This is truth. Now, this doesn't mean that every day will be perfect, right? This doesn't, doesn't mean that you won't lose your shit every once in a while. But what it does mean is that we'll stop relying so heavily on our minds to interpret our experiences in life, you know? Instead, we can just experience everything as it comes. Because the truth is, we exist, right? We know that for certain because it's what we're experiencing, right? What couldn't be truth are the sort of ephemeral beliefs and ideas we have about life because they're always changing, right? And we're always making these ideas and beliefs up as we go along. I mean, more than anything, it seems more accurate to, to see beliefs and ideas as lies, right? If anything, you might as well just call them lies because we're so sure of what we believe when we feel something is true, right? only to change our views and ideas as we go along our path in life. I mean, I'm sure we've all met someone like this before. We've probably even dated someone like this before, right? Like someone whose stories just always changed, right? That said that they were one way and ended up being a completely different person instead. You know, someone that's always changing their minds about how they feel. And what do we do typically with people like this eventually? We stop listening to them, right? We don't at all put trust into what they're saying. So in the same way, you know, we all appear to be in a very similar type of relationship with our egos. We believe everything it says, even though it just continuously changes its mind and its story about things. Yet despite that, I mean, we still choose to go on dates with it, right? I mean, I don't know about you, friends, but it might be time to friend zone your ego and stop sharing your most intimate experiences with it, right? <laughs> I mean, after all, we have to live with the ego, right? Of course, I'm not asking that you just shit can it all together, but what I am suggesting is that we stop mistaking its beliefs and ideas as truths and instead just sort of begin paying attention to what is true in your experience, which is presence, right? Which is stillness, which is love and peace, things like that. But uh, yeah, don't take my word for it though. I mean, find out, like try it out for yourself, right? Take yourself somewhere that requires your just complete attention, maybe somewhere quiet, I don't know. You know, maybe somewhere that just really challenges your impulse to think. And when you're there, you know, see if you can completely surrender to your experience without creating narratives in your mind about what you're doing, what you have going on in your life, right? And see if you can just completely surrender to the experience without bringing the past or future into your present. Now, this may seem difficult for some people, but uh, even if your mind starts moving, don't react or respond to it. You know, no matter how much it tempts you to solicit a reaction or a response, just, just be aware of it. Don't engage, but also don't try rejecting it either. Because, you know, even rejecting it is contributing to what you're trying to transcend about it, right? So I would just say, just watch it, right? And if you do this enough, if you're aware enough, you'll find yourself just less and less interested in playing with thoughts. Instead, you'll just, you'll find that you can really just enjoy what's in your moment, right? You'll finally be able to enjoy what's in your present moment. And if you can do this, you'll naturally fall deeper and deeper into stillness. And if you can master that, then, you know, you can master any static or noise that comes into your field when you return back into life. So remember, friends, every attempt the mind makes to interpret the experiences of life really only obscures the truth of what we experience. Experience then becomes limited to our thoughts about what we experience and not the actuality of it. So with that said, I just uh, wanted to say thank you for uh, taking this journey with me today. 
Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my apologies for not pushing these episodes out as quickly as possible. But uh, just like you, you know, sometimes we need to create space in our lives to deepen our own understanding of our work, of our passions, and even of our own spirituality, right? I mean, after all, you know, this is what Divine Nobodies is about, you know, learning and growing and healing and self-exploration, right? And we'll definitely have plenty more of that in the episodes to come. So stay tuned, friends. I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in, Divine Nobodies podcast. If you're on uh, Spotify, please feel free to leave us a review. We always love to know how we're doing. If you'd like uh, any podcast recommendations or, or any topics that you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. We have a page there. We post some of our content. We'd love to hear from you. A lot of our community is there. And also, if you'd like to see the video element of these shows, uh, more often than not, we do record them. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, feel free to like and subscribe and uh, follow the show if you feel called. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to us and send us a message, just feel free to just send us an email, divinenobodies at uh, podcast at gmail.com. But uh, until then, I will talk to you soon. Namaste, friends. <laughs>